All right, Greg, it looks like it's uh, just me and you on the pod today. Yeah, Brian, I have bad news. It seems Cassidy, Munya, and Colin, against my explicit advice, all read that New York Times piece on curating your post-pandemic friend group. (laughs) I I warned them. I warned them that it was full of toxic and harmful ideas that they shouldn't expose themselves to. Like that some of your friends, if they make you, quote, feel bad, should be moved to an outer tier of friendship or that some relationships could really be holding you back from being the person you deserve to be. Uh, It's pavlum, sure, but it's dangerous nonetheless, and I fear that uh, it may be spreading like contagion among our friends. (laughs) Well, as the lonely uh, fat friend, I say both goodbye to our dear friends, as well as congratulations on your new and better lives. Well, as the most toxic of our friend group, uh, I would like to say I'm sorry and yeah, good luck. Good luck out there, everybody. Um, I hope you make uh, better, uh, more beautiful, more rewarding friendships and podcasts in the future. Welcome back to the Seattle Sucks podcast podcast that gets lonelier by the moment and greg it's the podcast that has me asking uh did i call it the seattle sucks podcast by the way yeah. i think i did <laughs> you, Jesus you actually completely accidentally oh, fucked, it fucked it up worse than we ever have oh the mechanical freak podcast you guys know the deal anyways greg i have just one question for you do i make you horny baby yes well, Greg, uh, that puts you outside of the norm in this city. Uh, yeah, um, the... <laughs> of people who find you horny, who make, <laughs> who are made horny by your, by in imagining that, you. In that you've been made horny, Greg. At all. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. According to a survey from a very legitimate website called LawnStarter.com <laughs> that ranked the horniest cities in America. Uh, Seattle. Wait, I'm sorry, lawn starter, lawn like like sod, like, like yep, green like grass. L A W N. Greg, Greg, this is very legit. All right, oh, all right. All right. Okay. For, forget I forget I slowed us down here. Let's get right. <laughs> let's get right to it. No more foreplay. So according to this report, uh, no city in Washington State cracked uh, the top fifty, even horniest cities in America. And Seattle was outpaced by both Tacoma and Spokane, ranking 92 out of 200 cities. Uh, firmly in the middle as a, uh, let's just say, not horny city. Well, I mean, if we're on a scale of like, is this like, yeah, I guess there's no good spin on that. Um <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It could be good. It could be good to just be have a middling level of horniness. Maybe that's the normal horniness. Maybe it's <laughs> like if we we have the Aristotle know. level of horniness. Yeah, yeah, a golden mean. Uh, yeah. Uh, apparently, they used factors such as the share of uh, single people in the population, uh, Google search interest in adult content. I like people who are still just going onto Google and just typing in boobs. Use an incognito tab, at least, people. (laughs) Come on. 
sex toy sales. And I will I mean, those point can out, be used, you know, with another person. Well, and that just means, uh, well, yeah, you know what? I had not even considered that, Greg. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe they're just saying they're low overall. Yes, oh, I because think this isn't about overall, like, yeah. I, I got thrown by the single thing in the first place, but I think they're saying like, we're not typing boobs into yeah. the browser much and we're just not buying sex toys. Yeah, yeah. We're at a very middling rate for America. Yeah, and I and so that is how we're they the list. sensible middle. Yeah, that's how they list out their methodology. But if you go into the data, as I did, the deep dive <laughs> of the data, you'll realize that one of the one of the important categories that they give specific data on, and that I in fact think maybe is the most important category, is uh, the amount of people having unprotected sex, which you do get a hornier rating for more unprotected Wait, sex. What? So, so there's Wait, one as opposed to, from to more protected sex. Hold on, yep. this that Seattle. is Seattle, Seattle. Throw away those rubbers, all right? The condoms in the trash now. We are losing the battle. We have to keep our <laughs> horny stats up on lawndefender.uk. Uh, yeah, we whatever the fuck it was numbers. you said. Yeah, the subsidiary of next door, lawnstarter.com. Uh, but it wasn't all uh, bad news for the state of Washington because the great state of Texas, which sucks. Woo, Texas, uh, I think had six or seven cities in the bottom 10, uh, wow. almost all of which are suburbs of Dallas, which is just proving well, a point. I mean, like <laughs> we just keep saying it darkest energy of any city in America. And I guess that like it makes perfect sense to me that no one there is fucking. Yeah, no one and in Dallas fucks. How could much. you? How could you? You're and you're I mean, the misery, the like <laughs> dystopic sort of weight on your soul like how could you get it up in that atmosphere yeah it's it's uh it's a real bummer in and taxes according to uh the survey uh but as far as places uh san francisco longtime rival of seattle number three in unprotected sex so pack up your stuff philadelphia number four so just pack up your stuff move south people or do better here i don't know so just thought we we catch everybody up on the current horny ratings to let people know. Got to pump up those numbers. These are rookie numbers, guys. We got to do better. All right. Well, on to uh, slightly uh, different news uh, from a source, a journalism source just as reputable as LawnStarter.com. LawnDefender.co.uk. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, while we were looking up stories for this episode, uh, of which you could tell how successful we were by the beginning of this episode, right? <laughs> Look, I said I wanted to do some stupid shit for this episode, and Brian, you came through, sir. <laughs> well, in doing this, I of course do what I always do because I'm a real sophisticate, which is open up the New York Times, yeah, and uh, look at all the articles I can't see behind the paywall. But I just thought there was this very funny no, thing. That, the great thing is, like, people paying for it are only reading the headlines, too. So <laughs> we both have the same uh, get the same comprehension out of it, basically. Yeah. But on there, this is right now, currently on their masthead on the right hand side, there's a breaking column with three stories. And I just wanted to read these headlines to you, Greg, uh, just a sign of how things are going right now. Um First headline, in Guatemala, Vice President Kamala Harris delivered a blunt message to migrants hoping to reach the U.S. Do not come. Do not come. Uh, so the <laughs> that is also not not a horny sentiment. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe that's the problem why it's so unhorny in Texas right now is, you know, we're sending the wrong messages. You got this. Uh, uh, <laughs> vice president, like, out there spreading the message, uh, withholding your seed. <laughs> and uh, we'll make you what more purpose? powerful. Uh, they will, I guess, to be revealed at a later time. <laughs> They're building their own uh, Fremen soldier, soldiery, you know, more powerful than you could ever imagine. Um, <laughs> okay. So the second headline is... They recycled their seed. They didn't withhold it. Okay, that's different. <laughs> all right. Different. The second headline is Biden Justice Department seeks to defend Trump in suit over rape denial, uh, of which there's a little, you know, little text right here is probably worth reading, which is E. Jean Carroll sued former President Trump for defamation. But the department said that any statements made were part of Mr. Trump's duties as president. And I honestly don't feel this needs any more explanation. I'm satisfied. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, look, you have to as the Justice Department it is their duty to defend, if not the man or the rapist, the honor of the office he held. <laughs> you know, just, exactly. just think like, about that. If we're going to start allowing presidents to get sued over rape accusations and things like that, I mean, yeah, where does that next? stop? You know, um, and finally, Democrats searched for a way forward on their agenda after Senator Joe Manchin closed the door on ending the filibuster. But I assume this is based off of uh, the uh, now presumed dead pro act <laughs> that can't be passed because uh, the Democrats are such yeah, a fucking F lousy searching, party. Yeah, searching for a way forward after he closed the door on a dark room. They're all like groping each other <laughs> and fucking like uh, playing grab ass because he's fulfilled his role. I mean, he did it like yep. that's the role uh Joe Manchin, Kristen Cinema have been pegged to play. Like this is the role, this is the purpose of parties in yeah. in American politics is to to do this kind of cover, you know, where yeah. you everyone gets into a room. The only thing they really do as a caucus is they get in a room, uh, not literally, but like you know, figuratively. Uh, no, they get in a literal channels. room. They also in the get in the basement a room. of the Senate. Uh, and with, uh, Moloch overhead. It's decided that you're the person who's going to be the fucking heel, you know? Yeah. And he gets to cover, like, he came out in favor of the PRO Act um, because, like, it was decided, again, that, like, Kristen Cinema wasn't going to get behind it. and But they're both able to stand on this, this filibuster bullshit, which is just completely fraudulent. And, look, take comfort in knowing that it, it like, it, it does. It isn't. It doesn't work. Like this thing. It this thing they do where the Democrats go up and go like, "Look, uh, there's nothing we can do." The parliamentarian said the fucking uh, <laughs> like. Uh, oh my god! So who's my a what's it? Uh, can't uh, bloop blop the zingamajig. Like the only people who buy this shit are the fucking Washington media. And the people themselves, and it's like to everyone else, it just makes them look like more and more useless and out of touch. All they've actually got, it's not like this is what they're running on. It's not like this is what is keeping some of them in power. What's keeping some of them in power is that the Republicans are worse and they run on that, you know? But it's like, mm -hmm. it's not like this shit works. They're just not doing the stuff. I mean, that's the thing. They're well, just Greg, not doing it. 
gonna push back on this that nobody buys the story because uh, the first time the Democrats just, oh, our hands are tied, can't do anything, uh, the parliamentarian. What do you mean, in says, like 1964? <laughs> no, no, I'm talking about like literally month, first month of the Biden advent. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I remember my dad feeding me this story and I laughed at him and I texted him back and I said, tell me the truth, dad. Did you know uh, like about this position, Senate parliamentarian, prior to yesterday? <laughs> And did he say, uh, yes, well, back when I was, uh, your age, uh, or half your age, I will, you know, did take a civics class in high school. They should really teach you kids. Is that what he said? Uh, no, he, uh, stopped texting me. (laughs) 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 Just silence on that end. Oh, I mean, that is, you've got got a disciplined (laughs) boomer relation there who knows when they're, when he's beaten, when to, to walk away, you know? Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, let's I mean, just my say, my many years to get to this point, my relations, if I was to ever engage them when it and, you know, some a few times last year, I, I broke like years long fasts of doing that, of engaging them on political topics, uh, will just make up dumb shit to say to you out of thin air, like uh, forever, like they'll never stop, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, luckily, I think as my dad's brain continues to erode, uh, he just doesn't have it in him anymore, I don't think. Um, but I, I just thought this was so funny because these three headlines, again, just happen to be randomly up on the New York Times right now, just in a stack, perfectly summarize uh, what the Biden administration is and what it is going to be and the Democratic Party uh, in that everything they have direct control over, which is you know immigration, they are just as awful as the Trump administration and are very open about like, yeah, uh, we're just going to do all the same things that we've been doing in the U.S. I mean, for 30 that's years their whole now. Goal. That's like, the point yeah. of her being sent out to say yeah. that is to say, look, just so everyone's clear, we need you, America, to know that we are just as bad on immigration as the Republicans, yeah. because then you'll vote for us. They are wrong about this, of course. Yeah. But um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Hillary Clinton also made a trip to Latin America during the child migrant crisis when she was secretary of state for another Democratic president, uh, Barack Obama, uh, where she did this same role where she told uh, people in Central America, do not come here because, you know, basically this is a veiled threat. Right. If you come here, we will arrest you and turn you back. Um, And it's one of these things of. There's two tacks with the Democratic Party, which is things that they directly control, and there's no possible way you can claim that uh, Republicans got in the way. They just won't talk about like you're just not allowed yeah. to talk about it publicly. Like the fact that their immigration policy is actually shaping up to be worse than Trump's. They're gonna have more deportations than Trump this year and any of his uh, years in office. Right? You're just not you're just not gonna be able to talk about that. Right? Or Look, the, that's the, what you get when you elect Democrats. Competence in Washington. They know how to yeah, get the job exactly. done. <laughs> exactly. All, and that's all fucking asses and elbows from fucking like twelve uh, year old psychos and like ancient uh like drunk like senile uh perverts like who've haunted the republican party for decades no it's like real like competent like harvard go-getters yeah and you know there's also all the uh other little things like 
Biden has already signed off on, you know, more 1033 program acquisitions uh, than Trump did last year, meaning that he's already transferred or agreed to transfer more weapons from the military to domestic police uh, than Trump did last year. Right. Again, that's something that he solely controls. There's nobody in that room but him. Right. He has to sign off on that. And uh, he's already said, yeah, uh, the police need more tanks. That's our official policy. Um, and then, well, I mean, you get, you know, SPDs out of, uh, yes, out, out of, of tear gas, gas grenades, you know, so. And then you get the flip side of it was with anything that they could possibly blame on Republicans, which is their inability to pass any legislation at all. Uh, that, yeah, that, sorry. Uh, we only have majorities in all, in both houses and the presidency. Uh, can't, uh, can't do anything. That's impossible. I'm we sure actually have to hold 100% of seats in both houses in order to do anything. I'm sure this, we've <laughs> talked about the parliamentarian thing before, but like, I think it's really funny that they've started announcing the parliamentarian to the world. Cause like, it's so clearly like a really bad bit of messaging. Like it sucks. Mm. Like it, it's nonsense. Like, uh, and they just have, I guess they just have nothing left or don't care. Like they can't just, uh, I guess they feel like, like maybe the instinct is correct that they need to change it up from the Obama years of like, oh gosh, that Mitch McConnell, ugh, you know, <laughs> uh, but like they're going in the wrong direction. Like at least that was a fucking message. That was like these goddamn Republicans who we hate, trust us, mm. are so obstructionist. They won't let us do anything. They're bad. And now they're like, listen, guys, there are rules. Rules that as the people who control these legislative bodies, we write and set and vote on. And there are people whose job it is to advise us on the interpretation of that, those rules that are completely subjective. And again, we can change at any time. And those people who are advising, who for some reason we are now like, uh, you know, uh, quoting to be parroted in the press, uh, we can fire that person. Yeah, <laughs> it's a. Ba- I mean, it's a bad evolution of the um, of the whole thing. It doesn't make sense. Well, it's also a hard thing to tell a bunch of Americans. Hey, uh, there's this position that exists uh, in uh, the Senate that you've never heard of in your entire fucking life and has never been never come up in a conversation ever. It doesn't didn't uh, come up in Schoolhouse Rock because it's irrelevant. Yeah, it's a completely it's irrelevant not, position. It doesn't not matter. Rele- it's clearly not relevant to anything. They used yeah. to make look. I mean. You know, I, I, they're getting lazy, I guess. Like, they don't want to make the argument anymore on principle, right? Because they used to do that, too. They'd say, well, there's mm. all this obstruction, and we can't keep the filibuster. I think it is a filibuster. It's it's basically about how far the sort of, the sort of, like, left liberal media has, like, come on the filibuster question. Because it is, like, breaking more into the mainstream that this is, like, a ludicrous farce, this filibuster thing. Like historically and at present that it's not just that it's anti-democratic but that it's it's just a it's a fucking joke and they used to a lot of this you know because it would come down to well like well i mean you know you could get rid of the filibuster before and they used to be able to brush that off going like well come on this is you know the hallowed halls of the senate we're talking about and i guess they'd feel like they need to argue from a position of authority or something on this and they've just like misplaced that authority yeah yeah I don't know. well and 
And it's just this, you know, uh, yeah, I think it's becoming more obvious to people that it is patently absurd that you have to have not just a majority of votes, but a super majority of votes to literally get anything done. Like, like to pass a single piece of legislation <laughs> requires an impossible to get 60 votes. Of course, only when Democrats are in the majority. When Republicans are in the majority, of course, you can do it with 50 votes. But yeah. uh, when Democrats are in the majority, it, it requires, you know, 60 votes minimum to do anything. Uh, I think people have finally, a decade on, started to catch on. Huh, that seems fucking weird. And uh, yeah, it is somehow entered the consciousness that maybe there's something you could do about that. Well, on a small and, level anyway. I mean, like we're talking about like, yeah, the American political nerd who is also sort of left liberal, you know? Yeah. And yeah, it, it just is so hilarious to me that they that the defense for this is to roll out this. Uh, yeah, this position you've never, ever, ever heard of or heard talked about or anything like that. Uh, that's actually the reason. Oh, it's totally like fraudulent. That, yeah, now we can't do that. Um, now, I will say that there was a, a, a article in The Washington Post that uh, did have an interesting quote, of course, from an anonymous, you know, uh, person on the Hill uh, saying that at least uh, 10 Democratic senators were very relieved that Joe Manchin was going to block any sort of oh, effort yeah. in the filibuster because they also wanted to block it. But if, you know, he was going to stick his neck out there and, as they said, take the arrows for them, they would let them. And I think this is a key thing that people, I think, really don't understand about politics is that when you see votes that are close votes, there's like, oh, if we could only get that one or that one guy. There are a lot more people now. This not this is not true in the Republican Party, but in the Democratic Party, there are a lot more people that voted <laughs> that wanted to vote no on that, right? Because right, in the Republican <laughs> Party, everyone's yeah. trying to show actually pass something. How, well, they're also <laughs> also trying to show how conservative they are and how on board they are with the conservative agenda, uh, because they are. Yeah, like the Democrat Democratic Party is in this position that it's been in for decades now because they're essentially lying all the time. They're full yeah. of shit. Yeah. They right like like it comes down to that. They are fundamentally dishonest about what their goals are as a party as mo most of these elected. So like yeah, so they they desperately want to present themselves uh on you know, on these all these triangulated positions in these bullshit ways that they don't really want to see uh, happen anyway i don't know um yeah well you know it should be said also that um this instance of the filibuster talk being brought up again and this whole discussion and joe manchin you know being the one who's taking these arrows here is all in the context of the bills that are going through the house and senate uh to like basically replace the gutted sections of the uh, 1965 Voting Rights Act. Yeah, that was l tossed out by the Supreme Court several years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now the that the fruits of that are coming like to bear because lots of Republican-run states are passing all these uh, laws that are clearly uh designed to you know uh limit what little democracy we have to keep uh more people from voting to keep poor people from voting to pe keep people of color from voting like that's a story that you know everyone listening has probably heard that going around just like it's another like added sort of level of i don't know just 
uh, bullshit. I mean, just total uh, fraudulence to lay at the feet of the Democratic Party that in, in this moment when the Republicans literally are passing laws that would have been thrown out by uh, the Justice Department 10 years ago if they tried them under the Voting Rights Act provisions yeah, for this purpose are now being passed, you know, bringing back this, you know, laying a foundation for bringing back like, you know, Jim Crow era uh, voting reality in this country. And like, uh, we, you know, they can't, they can't do what needs to be done to stop that. Uh, yeah, like they yeah, can't do, I, they can't get it done despite controlling the whole fucking government. Yeah. And I mean, can't is, uh, you know, maybe a more appropriate word is won't. Right. Yeah. And, and I remember after the 2016 election fiasco, you know, there were some of us who were like pounding the table of like, look, the whole loss of this election can be chalked up to two factors running Hillary Clinton, a just world historically bad fucking candidate and voter suppression in Wisconsin, very in particular, but uh, also in Michigan and other places. And it's like. It was hilarious. It was the one thing that we had actual data on that you could show yeah. and be like, look, you know, in those areas where they were able to, to you know, turn, you know, to make turnout go down, uh, they won, you know, the Republican Party or Donald Trump won these like narrow margins that were less than the downturn in turnout, right? Like there is, unlike every other fucking bullshit fantasy Democrats have come up with about that election, there's actual evidence showing that voter suppression probably played a major role in getting Trump elected. And this should tell you something. Democrats looked at, they all saw that too. It's not like I have secret information that they don't have access to. They all saw that too. And they chose specifically, they made a choice not to do anything about it. And the reason is, is they don't want black people voting in Wisconsin either. Yeah. Right. Because then they would have to be responsible for them, right? And they don't want it. Like they yeah. don't, they don't want any of these votes, right? That that's the actual answer. And if it means that they just don't win seats, then they, they're happy with that. They don't want to be in charge of anything. I, how this fiasco of the you know first you know what five months, six months of the Biden administration, how it could show you anything other than that they just don't want to be in charge of anything. This is the worst possible scenario for the Democratic Party, and uh, they're shitting the bed accordingly. But uh, it was it was just astonishing to see them like you couldn't even bring up the like voter suppression after the 2016 election. Instead, they went on a complete fantasy trip about Russia. And it was it was really something to see. Um, and every election from here on out probably will be decided by voter suppression. And the exact same thing will happen, which is that they will uh, complain about Russia or defund the police or the left is too scary or all those kind of things. And uh, because they honestly don't give a shit about voter suppression, uh, it's it's really astonishing. Yep. <clears throat> but moving on to a slightly similar topic, I just wanted to kind of talk briefly about the just stunning sort of way that this consensus is congealing around the lab leak theory of yeah. COVID spreading, which, which for those who just a real quick, yeah. for those who are, you know, thankfully not aware of the discussion going around about this. Uh, the idea is that there was a lab in Wuhan that uh, was doing, uh, let's just say questionable, but not unique to that lab stuff that gets done in the United States and all over the world questionable research involving communicable diseases uh, where they essentially harvest them and mutate them in the lab. And that the theory is, is that the COVID virus came from that lab, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, 
And it is, and it, this is like quickly reaching this sort of consensus, I feel like right now. Well, I mean, hasn't Biden himself come out and like yeah. asked for a, a, he's asked the fucking CIA or the intelligence agencies for like a, which is so, you know, famously reliable. Yeah. That's where you want to go for information, like publicly. Anyway, that's a whole nother conversation. So that, but that's the level this is getting to of like publicly saying, I want our intelligence agencies to deliver me a report, you know, on whether this is how it happened, which is an insane thing for a world leader to say. Mm -hmm. It's like the, it's like the saying, like, any question in a headline can be answered with the word no. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. why are you asking the question? Like, shouldn't, like, publicly saying, uh, I don't know. Did uh, did Brian Platt murder someone? Hmm. People are asking questions. Yep. We should we should find out. <laughs> you know, yeah. like the classic, not like get uh, not like get to the fuck. If you're gonna do a fucking thing, like get do you know get to the bottom of the question, and then fucking announce to the world. Yeah, it's yeah. totally. It's a, just a fraudulent fucking. Um, you know, it's a it's a dirty trick. It's a fucking dirty trick. Yeah. Now. As to the the actual story itself, so I mean that's the level this is getting to. But this whole thing started. This comes from like like uh, right wing sources and Trump, and uh, I, I mean I don't remember specifically, but it's this very like QAnon like type uh, thing from the internet. This idea, you know, that was going around on Fox News back back you know back when this all started. When someone pointed after someone, I don't remember how it all started, but someone pointed out there was a a uh, bio, bio lab in Wuhan. Um, and now it's mm. reached this level, which is, and, and all of a sudden, like it's something like you kind of didn't hear about for a year. And then like now, um, uh, yeah, like, like the, the notes came out, the talking points came out and everybody's on it now. It's yeah. When I think, um, you know, the evidence so far up to this point is like, uh, hey, you know, they have uh, SARS style viruses in this lab. And can you really trust the uh, perfidious Chinese? You know, <laughs> can, can the Oriental truly be trusted or is their devious nature just, you know, inherent? And it's not without, uh, you know, it's not a coincidence that the main when people are trying to point to like a source that isn't QAnon for this, they point to a bulletin of the Atomic Scientists article about this. Yeah. Um, and the guy who wrote it is, and I am not saying this like, oh, I don't like this guy, is like an actual like uh, racist, like race theorist. Like he believes that intelligence is genetically inherited and is is uh, spread out unevenly across races, which he believes are real. And if you want to guess which race you think he's at the bottom of the intelligence scale, which one do you think is at the top? I think you could probably guess it pretty accurately, right? Um, you know. Not a kind of guy that I want to go to for, uh, let's just say, scientific <laughs> information. Yeah. But, uh, but you know. Well, also, uh, look, it's all, you know, I don't know well, what they're citing as conjecture. evidence. Right. It's conjecture. There, it, There is apparently this lab. That's the city that became associated with this virus, which brings us to the larger fucking question. Where did the virus come from? And it's yeah, basically been proposed that... in two ways. It's that it's. Uh, it came from uh, meat from the jungle, you know, like yeah, a, in a meat, you know, meat market uh, in Wuhan, or it came from this uh, Chinese communist military government lab that irresponsibly let it leak out. 
And both of these are centered around this idea that everyone has been fixated on from the very beginning that the virus started in Wuhan in China. And yeah. this uh, is a major fucking assumption. Like yeah. what we know now is that there are is DNA evidence going back uh, at least as far as summer 2019 all around the world. Yeah. This virus was all was global in summer 2019. Why yep. do we associate it with Wuhan, China? Because they fucking found it. Yeah. People were getting sick all over the world. Uh, it was, you know, but it's a respiratory virus. There's lots of respiratory viruses. It can, it doesn't get serious in everybody. Yada, yada, yada. Yes. Some people were dying. Some that happens sometimes. In Wuhan, in the hospitals there, pe uh, people, the doctors noticed that something was happening that was statistically interesting. Now, this uh, could mean, it could very well mean that that happened because Wuhan was the epicenter. And that is why they had enough cases that mm -hmm. they were able to notice it. But there, that is not the only possibility here. Yeah. Uh, imagine if, imagine for a moment that it has actually started in some backward shithole like America or Brazil. Yeah. Okay, yeah, How? America, where literally no no records are kept on patients, and where there's no information no, is shared. Right. Nobody goes to the hospital. We when have a sick. totally disparate, <laughs> disconnected fucking health system. No one goes to the hospital. Certainly not for a fucking respiratory virus. Uh, no, no, there's no fucking central sort of communication of this kind. There's no real national health system. Um, where even with, I mean, the U.S. government from the beginning, I mean, it's Trump administration a lot, but a lot of people in America constantly criticizing the Chinese government on their handling of of the virus. Mm. And it's just it, totally absurd. Like, I mean, they, I th this is the key takeaway. What we know is they identified it. They identified that something was wrong, that there was yeah. something new that was causing uh, higher than normal rates of, of respiratory infection and disease and higher deaths they sounded the alarm to the world within a month they had built a thousand bed hospital in wuhan the actual construction taking like less than 10 days like they did and they announced this to the world they had they had a whole health system that kicked into gear and identified this pretty shortly after the doctors in wuhan you know mm -hmm. started raising alarms the national health system stepped in and went and started analyzing and found Oh, there is something here, and then they they immediately announced it to the World Health Organization uh, within days. Uh, and I just think like not only there's two things to hold in your head here. Not only like wh the what if, the hypothetical, or the the sort of counter historical of like what if it had started in America? Would America have even detected it first, or would it be have been left to like Canada? or Mexico, or another, uh, you know, place just that gets a lot of international travel from where it did start, or somewhere like New York, where it uh, popped off heavy, you know? And then the other thing to think about is, what if that's actually what the fuck happened? Yeah. Like, 
we like again that that is very possible it could have fucking started here and gone uh to and been all over the world and the chinese fucking noticed they had a fucking or wherever it did start had big uh had a lot of travel bet- uh between wuhan and there like so places where it popped off very early very heavily is uh northern italy um they have a lot of travel between there's a big like community from that part of China that has been linked to this connection, right? Like there's a lot, there was a lot of travel. The thing is the cases go back so fucking far. Now they show in like DNA evidence from other tests in Northern Italy, like people getting, you know, uh, blood work from other things that they've gone back. Universities have gone back and looked through that show. Like, again, this was six months ago that I saw they had traced it back to summer 2019 for all. I don't, for all I know, people have found it going farther back. Um, for all we know, it started in northern Italy, and then they didn't fucking notice because their uh, privatized health system in northern Italy is also a shambles. Um, yeah. And it got transmitted with this community heavily um, to Wuhan. Basically, I think it's like a fashion industry thing. There's a lot of connections there. Yeah, yeah, and it it broke out in a small way in Wuhan that the Chinese health system immediately noticed. You know, I mean, not not again, not immediately because also in China they show cases going back months and months. But like to, a, but again, like it has to get to some level that you know uh, anyone's going to notice. And the question is, at what level would your health system or would various health system? What level of infection would your health system? actually notice and register that there was something abnormal going on and the the thing is at the end of the day we just don't know that it even fucking started in china at all yeah and i you know a parallel if this all sounds crazy right i'm like oh but i you know it's all over the news and you know that mm-hmm. it started in china uh the reason why you call the spanish flu the spanish flu is because literally every country in Europe and the United States were all too busy creating new meat grinders to put children into, uh, which Spain was not. Uh, that they didn't notice that like everybody was dying. Of well, the also flu. they suppressed they because suppressed of the, the war. They also yeah. specifically there were press controls and they were you know suppressing yeah. any like bad press about anything. So the uh, first so it's a combination of both. Yeah, but the first reporting basically comes out from Spain. Right. That people could see that this flu epidemic is happening. And because of that, it has been forever known as the Spanish flu it is now believed to have originated in the United States. In fucking. Yeah. Like Nebraska, like Kansas Pink or some bullshit yeah, or yeah. Kansas or something. Nebraska, uh, or Kansas, something like that. Very similarly, in the early days of the AIDS epidemic, it was French scientists, despite AIDS breaking out in the U.S. first, it was French scientists who isolated the disease and actually did all the early pioneering research because all the American scientists were, A, too busy pretending like it wasn't happening, and B, trying to figure out where the gay gene was in the disease, right? And so, you know, you shouldn't (laughs) just say it is not a home run that this began in Wuhan. Like, I'm sorry. Like, that case has to be made first. I'm sorry. Before you can go into all these yeah. other theories. Now, you know, is a lab leak possible? Yeah, it's I mean, sure. possible, yeah. 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 But you, you know, 
if all you have is conjecture right now, you have nothing. And I think the thing is, is there are some people on the left, like there was a long article from Nathan Robinson and Current Affairs about this, who think like, oh, well, you know, the National Institute of Health in the United States was giving lots of money to that lab in Wuhan. So this is really going to show up the United States if it turns out this is true. There'll be egg on our face. Uh, false. Wrong. Yeah. You're an idiot. If you think that's true, you're a fucking moron who doesn't know how the media works. If it if the lab was physically in China, it does not matter what role the U.S. had in that lab's existence. It will be written out of the story. Nobody will remember it. It'll be completely fucking memory old. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, on any this mass is, level. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Th- this is new Cold War shit. So Biden also ran on the China virus when he campaigned, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Nobody wants to remember this, but he ran ads talking about the China virus. The U.S. is going to, you know, if the horror of killing, you know, more than 600,000 people in a year ever hits anybody in this country, which is a real question, there's going to need to be some sort of explanation for this. And that explanation is universally agreed upon in the American ruling class that it's China's fault. And that explanation also is very convenient because it's this called next shooting century, the messenger. Yeah. And also this next century is all about the U.S.'s war with China. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's a very convenient story, too. So that's what we're going to go with. And, you know, I it's just hard to see these lab leak consensus as anything more than just part of the new Cold War that we're building. Yeah, right? it's bad. And it's not good. It's Look, not good. I'm 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 a big like uh, Fort Dietrich theory guy, uh, you know. Just to wrap this up, you know, uh, August 2019, the Fort Detrick, the, the U.S.'s main biological uh, weapons lab is shut down for uh, bad safety practices and has to be like completely like evacuated and like cleaned and burned or something. And uh, <laughs> all, it, that same summer in joint military exercises, people, a lot of uh, U.S. Army, U.S. military personnel from Fort Detrick were in Wuhan doing exercises with China, with the Chinese, um, you know, take that yeah. for what you will, uh, uh, you know, again, well, we don't know, but it really could have been anywhere. It could have just, uh, started in a fucking dank fucking salami cellar in Milan, you know? Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's also again worth remembering that in like 2010, UN soldiers who were sent to occupy Haiti to ensure a pro-US regime after the earthquake uh, basically created a cholera epidemic in Haiti that killed, you know, tens of thousands of people. Um, You know, that happens, Mm -hmm. right? So, hey, like, you know, happening during joint maneuvers, not out of the blue. My personal favorite theory, though, is the right-wing conspiracy that it was released from the lab in Wuhan to attack the United States, which... I love it because it rests on two it's, it's brilliant. pillars. Yeah, two pillars, yeah. which is that the China, that they would release it in their own population, knowing that their own healthcare system is so good that they'd be able to stop its spread and limit it, the damage. It would be done. barely a blip in the life of, yeah. of Chinese people, like a month of inconvenience, a, sm- a very small yeah. number of deaths. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. And the second pillar, which is my favorite part, knowing that the U.S. healthcare system is such a fucking disaster and the city is or this country is run so fucking poorly that the exact opposite would be true. In the yeah. United States. And that it would be that is I mean, that's an incredible I love that theory, too. It's an incredible weapon to think about. Like, you don't even have to aim it at your target. Yep. Your target just has to be so its defenses have to be so weak that 
so uniquely weak that you can just do like a full like area attack that you know is on a global scale that's really mostly going to hurt your main enemy and a few other basket cases that you're not really fond of either. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there'll be some collateral damage as they say. Yeah. Well, uh, moving to, moving to another, (laughs) uh, science story. Uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, he's, he's going to the moon, baby. He's, uh, he's boarding a rocket (laughs) pre-flight, you know, uh, it's going to be a rocket man. Um, (laughs) uh, Cassie, him and his brother just now, uh, to make sure we mention that Bezos is going to space and be sure to speak to the fact that Jeff is taking his brother with him to mm-hmm. run his space bar. <laughs> oh, what a wonderful callback for our loyal <laughs> listeners. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, somebody has got to serve the drinks in space, right? Uh-huh. Yep. Um, you know, can't wait for the uh, recitations of uh, the manifesto on that on the Blue Origin rocket. But uh-huh. so Jeff is going to board a Blue Origin rocket, I guess, in the coming month or something like that and uh, fire himself into space. And I got to say it, it's never been a better time to uh, fire one of those uh, just like dirty rockets into space that blows up and starts taking all the satellites out, you know, just to create a just a ring of like metal flying at 14,000 miles an hour. Uh, so that Jeff can't come back. <laughs> like now's our time to build the shield against Jeff's return. I mean, he would still, <laughs> he would still be Jeff Bezos just from space. I mean, like he would still be running the world. He would still have the power that he has. Like he's just in a permanent orbit now. <laughs> If that were to happen, he would still be like the pharaoh of the planet, like with all the wealth, like just because he, you know, is in space, it doesn't matter. They would just have uh, Blue Origin would just start shooting up unmanned like modules to build a space station out of for him to live in. They could like, you know, what like two percent would get through the like planetary shield of uh, space junk. But like, you know, that's that's fine. And, you know, he would just build a space station up there to live in and he would rule from on high. I mean, yeah, I don't see the problem for Jeff. Well, uh, I guess then our only hope is that uh, Blue Origin contracted with the same company NASA did for all their uh, like O-ring seals. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's, that's our last. Well, look, don't get your hopes up, people. It's not he's going to live. Unfortunately, uh, Elon isn't like getting into a if Elon was getting into a SpaceX rocket. I would I would say like yeah start putting money on something but like you know there's a reason Jeff Bezos is going to win the billionaire space race he wins all the races a fail son he is not yeah right? you know well he doesn't i mean this was the story of amazon is he doesn't actually take risks you know yeah. Like it shit. By the way, did you see that our absolute fucking awful dipshit Democratic Senator Maria Cantwell just jammed a fucking bailout for Blue Origin into a spending bill? That fucking rules. What a stupid country. Um. So going from that to uh, back back to Earth, back to Washington State. Maybe, Greg, both of us have been vaccinated. We're both entered to win. Maybe we can form our own Blue Origin after we win the COVID lottery. Yeah, listen, I just want to issue like an apology from the show to everyone who took 
Brian's advice about getting vaccinated of not bringing any ID, refusing to show your insurance card, Mm -hmm. giving a false name, wearing a uh, spirit gummed mustache uh, to get your (laughs) to get your vaccine totally incognito and untraceable. Um, You know, that probably is going to invalidate the possibility of you winning the COVID vaccine oh, lottery. Yes, and yes, your very real chance of winning this very real lottery. Yes, you will. De- you might not win. You know, you got to get in it to win look, it. You know, it. It. You know, you're going to feel real bad if one of our listeners' false names uh, comes up on the news as the winner what, of the lottery, if and they can't is, claim the money. If this is a concern that you have. <laughs> Uh, listener, what you should do is go onto your computer and you should Google McDonald's Monopoly game and learn <laughs> about why it doesn't exist anymore. All right. But yeah, um, no, look, your chances, and I still stand by this, your chances of being charged down the road for that vaccine in one way or another are infinitely higher than your chances of winning this lottery. So continue to take my advice, people. Uh, my advice, by the way, was never give them your insurance. And I, I stick by that. Do not do that. That is a bad idea. I know they're telling you it's free now. Uh, let's just say uh, circumstances change and you're not in control of this game. So, well, see, you Brian, know. now you're contributing to the narrative that is keeping people from getting vaccinated in the first place because they think it's going to be cost them yeah, money somehow. I, I wonder why people believe that. Uh, maybe because <laughs> that's how healthcare always works in the United States. And again, I think, like, why are they asking for that information? Like, why do they need your health insurance card? Yeah. If it's really free, and if there's no intention to ever charge down the road or anything like that, why even ask? Yeah. You know? it's uh, So, like I said, if they're asking for it, that means you could be charged for it down the road. Or at the very least, get stuck in some awful fucking legal battle over it uh, down the road. Right. So, you know, right. Some just, charge comes up on like, oh, yeah, that shouldn't be there. And it, you're like, it's accruing interest and you're being sued over it for the next 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. So I continue to say, uh, do not offer up any, any health insurance information. In fact, anytime you go to the hospital, just don't give them any information. <laughs> go for every problem you have. Never give them any information to them. Uh, uh, anyways. Well, so Brian will not be winning the COVID lottery. Uh, nor will you, listener. <laughs> I don't know. I, look, I, if you followed all the rules, you will also I got be the winning vaccine. this lottery. <laughs> I'm fully vaccinated and I've already spent that money in my head. If I'm honest, like the second I heard about it, I was like, I got vaccinated. I 250 million or something, dude, I so, want it. Okay. So here, let me, we, we have not I, even described. I literally have been pondering. Me, I've literally been pondering like, would I, you know, put all the money into like, uh, refitting the boat Nyad or buying a new boat, you know? <laughs> well, you should keep thinking about that. Uh, I'm going to read out the winnings real fast. We should go over. We, we keep talking about it. And we haven't said what people could win. Uh, there'll be four, count them, four $250,000 lottery drawings and one a $1 million drawing, as well as college tuition. <laughs> it just says college tuition, sports tickets and gear and gift cards for local businesses. Now, to the extent, just like, again, Google, uh, Monopoly at McDonald's, just like the McDonald's Monopoly game, uh, I am fully believe that some of you might end up with a Kraken hat that you end up uh, giving up to Goodwill. 
or a $5 gift card to your local like Bed Bath & Beyond. Those, those are the two things that people will actually get. $5 Starbucks <laughs> gift card. They should have just given those out yeah. with the, uh, with yeah, the vaccines. If you wanted to win something with your vaccine, you should have gone, and I'm sad now that I didn't wait for this. Maybe I'll get vaccinated again uh, and just do this. But you, some places you can get like a free beer, I heard, when they're doing it like at bars and stuff. So if oh, you want to yeah. win something, that's the way to do it. So uh, Washington State, pretty high on the vaccination level. Uh, I'm sure this, I mean, this will probably push it up a couple percentage points. I mean, whatever, who gives a shit? Like, let's be serious. That money is going to like Inslee's cousin or something who's going to win this. Like, or all four winners are going to have Italian last names, you know, something like that. But like, uh, (laughs) but, you know, it's not the worst thing. People are like clowning on it. But who gives a shit? Like, honestly, if that's what it takes to get people to get it, I guess that's fine. Look, I mean. We've given it's, away a lot more money for a lot less. <laughs> yeah, it's the kind of bit, it's the kind of like it's still small, but it's at least like and it's it's just so it's like all it's all libs know how to do at the end of the day. Like I've complained from the beginning of this whole pandemic, like that the government response, including locally, has just like been lacked all imagination and like just not been like there's been no real like mass public education campaign that you can't avoid that is you know people everywhere like billboards fucking commercials whatever well, this is something it's still but it's also like it's going it's like this the only thing that uh they know how to do which is like i guess gambling is okay under our that's something we can get past <laughs> you know Gambling's okay Whatever. if it's for a good cause, you know. Yeah, it's like a very Marge Simpson esque uh, yeah. uh, reasoning. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, that brings us, I think, to our, our final story to close out, which is Greg uh, Seattle's poor, overworked, overburdened restaurant owners are at it again. What, what's going on down there? Boy, they really are, Brian. <laughs> This is uh this is a really harrowing story in the Seattle Times from Paul Roberts and Tan Vin. The headline Where have all the waiters gone? On the cusp of reopening, a labor shortage threatens Washington's restaurants recovery. Uh-oh. It opens thus. When Babar Restaurant in South Lake <laughs> Union was preparing to reopen in May, owners Eric Bond and Teresa Wynn had so much trouble hiring staff, they had to host and bus tables themselves. My God. Has anybody suffered as they have? When a cook went home sick, the kitchen was so short-staffed, they had to shut the whole restaurant down for the night. No. It's a similar story across town at Bar del Corso in Beacon Hill. On a recent Saturday, owner Jerry Corso was so short-staffed, he had to multitask as Piazziolo, whatever that is, <laughs> prep cook, host and server, dessert plater, and takeout order taker. Okay, so let's like, point out. I mean, hang on. Uh, look, I mean, this is really, this is awful. I mean, the guy's name is on the restaurant. Brian, and he had to do all that stuff involved in a, a restaurant. Do you think when Gordon Ramsay comes into one of his restaurants, uh, he just picks up the slack? I don't yes. think so, buddy. Yes, I, I so. do. I think if you've watched, as, as you know, we are both 
uh, absolute connoisseurs of kitchen nightmares. And I think what Gordon uh, has to say to most of the owners who run these admittedly failing restaurants is that they need to step in and do all this shit. <laughs> uh, because, you know, well, sitting I on love- their fat asses, like, you know, isn't uh, getting food on the table. I love that the fucking Chef Boyardee restaurant, that fucking a lot of the tasks that guy described are literally just what wait staff does. Like as a waiter, a lot of times you you plate the desserts. Like as a waiter, yeah. you take the takeout orders. Right? As a waiter, like uh, you know, uh, a lot of places like waiters bust their own tables too. Like I mean, this, it, that's not an unusual thing for a waiter right. to have to do. But, all those but jobs. when we're talking about the owners, suddenly yeah. it, it gets extrapolated and div- divided up into all <laughs> these jobs. Like right, like there's like there's a dessert plater like the the <laughs> he, at bar del corso there's just someone who just sits there's like back there. so uh yeah, is, is anybody ordering dessert are you pushing the dessert i'm here i'm ready to plate it <laughs> no I, he's he, because you know you don't get dessert does he get tipped out for plating the dessert <laughs> they the dessert it, plater they call him on a special phone and he like comes out of the shadows and he has like an eye patch. He's dressed in all black. His hair is all scraggly. You know, you know, this guy's a tier one dessert plater. You know, (laughs) he tells you old war stories from restaurants past, you know. (laughs) No, it's yeah. It's Harvey Keitel shows up and plates your dessert. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So, yeah, just fucking fraudulent from the start, right? Like, yeah, oh, yeah. my God, the owning class had to do work. And it was this all this different work that actually just, yeah, one other person is probably usually doing in their <laughs> given day. Panic mode, in quotes, uh, describes much of the state's restaurant sector. After almost 15 months of pandemic restrictions, layoffs, and losses. Many restaurants, bars, and other food service businesses face a new crisis. Within just weeks to go before restrictions lift, a deep labor shortage is derailing hopes for a quick recovery and renewing questions about the role of pandemic unemployment benefits. Oh, you know, so in this I didn't w- think that we were going to talk about that. And then it just pops right back up. Uh, well, I just it, love how. Yeah, I mean, we knew this is where <laughs> this was going, right? Like, but like. This is that was all one sentence. And it's like. Yeah. After 15 months of pandemic restrictions, layoffs and losses, dude, you obliterated the entire restaurant sector. Yeah, <laughs> there were other ways around this. Like, yeah. it didn't have to go down this way. Uh, you, we chose to use the rickety unemployment system because we knew that most a ton of people would just never end up qualifying, get bounced off, not figure it out. Instead of uh, propping up some system of keeping people on payroll at their jobs, you know. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, like, so that's what you did. You You blew a hole. You let a hole. I mean, admittedly, it's the pandemic. But like, because this country can't weather a crisis in any serious way, we we blew a hole. We let a gaping hole be exploded into the restaurant economy, a lot along with a lot of other sectors. And that like, yeah, there's a fucking labor shortage. Like, fuck, man. Like, what do you expect after laying everybody out? Like the these owners, of these restaurants expect that now at their beck and call, all the people who worked for them before 
are just going to like jump up and hop back to work. Like yeah. they haven't moved on with their fucking lives, mm. which this article, how much we'll get through, I don't know, but basically goes on to say that like, the you know, we're in the first few paragraphs here. It's like, Ooh, those unemployment benefits. And that's what is coming up next. But then, you know, it's this long piece and the last third of it is all about, well, actually all these people, you know, it has the, all these other explanations, of course, that, you know, uh, they don't really want you to actually read to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so all told, Washington may need as many as 70,000 food and beverage workers to be ready for post-pandemic demand, according to estimates by the Washington Hospitality Association. Uh, that's a lot. The shortage has been good for many would-be workers, of course. Many report a plethora of opportunities of job offers made in the first interview, even hiring bonuses of up to a thousand dollars for restaurant owners, <laughs> not, not managers. Higher wages, though, I noticed, but interesting. Yeah. yeah. For restaurant owners and managers, however, the shortage is nerve-wracking. Uh, I don't give a shit. After yeah. <laughs> months of losses and rising debt. Many were banking on being able to quickly hire up in time for the summer season. Well, that was stupid. I mean, that's not how this works. Like the, <laughs> the phony baloney shit we're taught about, like how our economy works, like is bullshit. Like you, you can't just do that. Those these connections don't exist anymore. Yeah. People have moved. OK, yeah. they moved across the country. They've gotten other jobs. They've completely changed their living situation. They've had to move back into their parents' basement somewhere where they don't know all, you know, they don't have relationships in the restaurant community that they've worked in for 10 years in their adult life, never making a dime to be able to weather a crisis without moving back home with their parents. And uh, they're not going to fucking go get some job in that shit town they're back in because they don't need to because they're in their fucking parents' basement. Well, and um, also consider this fact, uh, Ethan Stoll, Linda Dershing, uh, Tom Douglas, consider this fact. I've talked to employees at your restaurants. Uh, they didn't like you to begin with. Yep. Yep. Like, so, yeah, shocker. Uh, they don't feel any loyalty to coming back and working so that you can steal money from them. You yeah. know? Okay. Uh, here we go. Where we used to get 20 applicants for a job opening, we might get five now says restaurateur Ethan Stoll, who is struggling oh. to staff most of his 15 Seattle area locations. Jesus Greg, Christ. Greg, if I were to go back to my elementary school, uh, you know, economics textbook, is there a way that you can overcome a problem of uh, high demand but low supply? Is there something I could do as the purchaser to maybe, uh, you know, succeed in getting the employees I need? I, I don't know what you could possibly ta be talking about, Brian, because like, oh, I, you know, I just found it in my textbook. It's a uh, complain to the government, ask yeah. them to have the police beat people to death if they won't come in to, and work for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what we're talking about here, right? Uh, yeah, like it's a free market, motherfucker. You know, yeah, is this what you wanted? That's all they wanted. Like people are, the, first of all, he's saying we're, we used to get 20 applicants. Now we're getting five. It's like people are still coming in and asking for the jobs. Yeah. Like, but he's not able to get people who are, I guess, enough who are qualified. Okay. Yeah. I mean, then again, <laughs> uh, those people who are still, that's the thing, as this goes on, it's just, it's just so obvious. Like everything they say, they, they save all the real shit for the end, but it's basically like, yeah, like it's a high turnover business in the first place. There are very few people who stay in it long enough to have to 
fucking have the skill level to work in these, you know, top end restaurants like Ethan Stoll places. And like when those people, when a few of those people get out of the business, because what the fuck they can't, they got to make a living somewhere else. Like, Mm -hmm. like what this is, what's going to happen? Like, yeah, they don't necessarily come back. When I think, too, it gives, you know, it, it shows the lie that people believe, like when they talk about like, oh, you know, we thought we'd just be able to gear right up. And it's like, well, you can't just gear right up because the people you're talking about working at your restaurant are not unskilled labor, right? Yeah. It, you can't just bring anybody off the street and have them do this, right? Like, particularly these like fancier restaurants where you're expecting a certain level of service and all this bullshit. It's like, this is actually like very skilled labor. And it's like, yeah, if, uh, if you lost touch with it, if you don't have it around anymore and you're not willing to offer money to bring it back, it's like, yeah, you're going to be at a real spot. And I don't think that you're going to train a bunch of, uh, you know, just nobodies who are still willing to work for minimum wage to do the same level of work that these other people were doing. Now, well, here's the thing. Like they want, they, they don't want to have to compete with each other. These yeah. restaurateurs, they, they existed. They controlled the market before where it was understood that restaurant service labor, the price was kept low. They had a, yeah. a, an, a, you know, an unspoken agreement assisted by the, all the terms of our fucking society and economy. Now, if you want to get, people skilled people who work in your restaurant you're going to have to compete with other restaurants which well, means this, raising your fucking wages yeah there was this churn of employees right who are constantly being shifted from restaurant to restaurant and are just constantly in this cycle right of also you know living paycheck to paycheck and stuff like that there was this churn right and as long as the churn's yeah. going these guys are all fine they can exploit as much as they want but covid stopped the machine right the pump died the churn stopped and now they're mad because they can't get it going again. Right. And, you know, they don't want to do, like you said, they don't want to pay higher wages or anything like that. Now they want the government to get the churn going again by, by literally threatening people's lives. If they don't go back into these restaurants, which the government's ultimately going to do, we shouldn't kid ourselves in any way. Right. Like they're going to start evicting people. They're going to start, you know, throwing people out on the streets if they don't go into this, which is the same essentially as killing somebody. Now, the answer to all this, right, if you're, you know, uh, thinking about this outside of the relationship, the power of relationship between boss and worker is, uh, you know, the employers could have, uh, I don't know, signed fucking union contracts with all their workers and stuff like that. That might help, I don't know, guarantee some, you know, bit of retention. Things, yep. Right. You know, but of course, interesting, the Seattle Times, I'm going to guess, doesn't even bring that up in the article. Unworthy uh, no, of discussion. That, that does not come up. Uh, they do <laughs> eventually start talking about like, well, first of all, they go through the whole unemployment rigmarole of like, well, the average, you know, uh, service worker in 2020, you know, is now making can make, you know, uh, well, six hundred dollars in unemployment a week, you know. Uh, with the added whatever, and it's like blah blah blah. They spend most of the article talking about this shit, throwing all these unemployment numbers, and then they basically, uh, you know, at the end do get around to saying like, I mean, with like you know subheads like overly generous benefits question mark, but then they basically show that like, well, actually, like, uh, you know, a huge number of people, the uh, the biggest part of the work, one of the biggest like sectors that was laid off were service workers. Um, but they've gone back to work at normal at normal levels relative to everybody else, which means a lot of them have just found other 
sectors yeah. to work in. People got out of the business because they because it because a lot a lot of times it fucking sucks working in service. Yeah, and it's like blows. when you couldn't do it when you didn't have that to rely on. If you had a high or moderate skill from working in the business for a while, but like you could not put that to use, you know. But your think about the for for you know Ethan Stoll this motherfucker at running these high end places. So he's talking. You're talking about people who are eminently employable okay people with a long people are working for ethan stoll or people with a long steady employment history yeah people yeah. who are without criminal records or bad credit scores that prevent them from getting employment like people who are very employable okay now they have a specific skill in the restaurant industry but some percentage of them being faced with being out of work like the industry just fucking shriveling up and all getting laid off uh, maybe being able to get on unemployment, but maybe not. And maybe that's, that's a, you know, a meager fucking thing, especially if you were, if you were making above minimum wage working for Ethan Stoll at one of his, you know, uh, as like a, a cook at one of his restaurants, you know, then you're not actually bringing in as much as you were making. I mean, there's a big difference between like Ethan Stoll, you know, and like working at fucking, uh, Taco yeah, TGI Bell, you know? Fridays or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe not a big difference, but there's a difference. And, so you're eminently employable. You can't put your your skill that you're used to making real money in or a living. You can't put it to use because the industry is fucking shut down. And it's you're not there isn't a government program or a union that is keeping you and your skill set securely in the business and connected to it. So you go out, you get some other job and that's where you are now, you know, like, yeah. yeah. And yeah, you do that to even like some percentage of that workforce and it's going to completely disrupt this. And and that's just where they're at. They're going to have to start over. They're going to have to compete for labor. And they're going to have to train new people up. And uh, you know what? Uh, my God, like they can't. We're not going to be able to open seven nights a week uh, full schedule when uh, the restrictions are lifted at the end of the month right away. Yeah. It's going to take us a month. Like, fuck you. Yeah, and it's Jesus, a, you know, there was a fucking like almost a million people are dead in America. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, and I mean the thing to mention too, which we've mentioned on the show before, is that when it comes to the sort of mortality rates by profession, only nurses died at a higher rate than like service workers and cooks. Yeah, you know. Um, so part of it is the restaurant industry killed a large portion of their workforce, yep. right? They literally murdered a huge section yeah. of the workforce and are standing on their corpses going, why doesn't anybody want to come work with me anymore? And, you know, that's a big part of it too. But, you know, to go back to the point you were just saying, uh, you know, when I first came to Seattle, I worked construction. I got laid off. And while I was laid off, I started working in a machine shop, right? So I changed professions, right? Yep. And in doing that, I realized, oh, I don't have to work outside in the fucking rain and I can have regular hours that are like fairly, re you know, that I can depend on and things like that. Uh, yeah, I'm not going back to construction, right? And I never did. Yep. It's like, that happens. Like, that is happening to, you know, people who are formerly wait staff. More like than that. a yeah. year to yeah. consider and look for other shit. That's the thing. If you are, if you have, look, people are stuck in shit jobs, right? Like in restaurants and a lot of other industries. And when you're stuck in it, when it is what is paying your bills, you stick with it. And when yeah. you lose it, and but you can get something else, you try to get something immediately. When you are forced by circumstances to just stay out of it, you're going to start rethinking things yep. and going like, well, shit, maybe I need to go look into something else. And even if you haven't yet gotten something else, 
you've been hanging on this long without it. Like, you know, no, not it's more, the, yeah. the smart move is to try and get something better rather than to get sucked into something that sucks for the rest yeah. of your life. You know, like, yeah. even if you may fail at that, but my God. Anyway, they yeah. do. They say this. Look, the last third of the article is after they say, like, have all these quotes from the restaurateurs saying, like, it's the unemployment benefits. They're keeping people from going back to work, you know, um, fucking uh, this guy. Those extra federal benefits, quote, are encouraging people not to come to work, says John Schmidt, co-owner of Seattle based neighborhood grills chain. Why would you work? <laughs> You can take the summer off. I don't blame them, but it's frustrating for me. And then, you know, they have all that shit. And then the last third of the article is uh, looking elsewhere. Data on uh, on this collective career change is incomplete, but anecdotal accounts from employers, workers, industry official, and government analysts point to a host of reasons why food service is struggling to attract new or former workers. One is lingering concerns about workplace safety. Some former restaurant workers say they're no longer comfortable in a job that requires close proximity to customers whose vaccination is unverifiable. There's another whole thing. The pandemic is still ongoing. Yeah. You know, no, no, no. It's over. We voted it out of office. Uh, I can't go. I can't afford to go back and put my health and well-being in that kind of jeopardy, says Nikki Schultz, 38, who left the industry after 20 years for a remote job with a Los Angeles based funeral funeral arranger i mean there you See, go that's there's, that's there's the economy right industries. there there's yeah. other boom industries that's the thing you know late, uh <laughs> service work was drying up fucking funerals were popping off man like yeah. that's just that's the fucking uh market working in action that's the invisible hand uh hey, another, look yeah i'm now working six twelves as a crematoria worker uh you know with good pay and benefits so i can't go back to restaurant work after this <laughs> other former restaurant workers say they no longer trust restaurants and bars as stable employers given the possibility of future shutdowns if cases surge so a lot of people who might eventually go back aren't convinced that the pandemic is over and that we're not opening too early and that they could either get sick or just get laid off a fucking again. Whereas yeah. maybe they've got some side hustle or some other job that is steady, even if maybe they're, you know, not pulling down the same kind of money in fucking tips or they were working as a cook in an Ethan Stoll restaurant. I don't know. You know, there's all kinds of things. Uh, that was a story for Nick Bottomley, a 15-year food service veteran from Seattle who was laid off twice last year. After the first time in March, Bottomley began training as a solar energy technician and earlier this year took a job with Seattle-based Puget Sound Energy or Puget Sound Solar. Yeah, and he's not going back to restaurants, by the way. Yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. my God, no, right? Yeah. So use I mean, the opportunity the to go like, well, you know what? I was doing that for 15 years. I've had this moment to like have some breathing space because I got uh, laid off and had like that guy. I mean, you know, he wasn't at the same restaurant for 15 years. The guy probably got laid off or quit dozens of fucking times and immediately went out and got other jobs because that's what people do in America. Everyone, you know, I mean, like, you know, it's never been yeah. my MO, but, uh, you know. That's how people operate. And, you know, people like had a moment to do something else and they're and they found some other shit. Uh, you know, yeah. still well, there's again, a lot of unemployment. So the thing I keep coming back to since we've started talking about this a fucking year ago is like they are going to get these people back. Like like they are. It's just not this. They're so fucking greedy. Like, yeah, it's if we open at the end of June, 
yeah, it's going to be till fucking September till they're really like up to staff again, you know, like maybe, mm. you know what, maybe Michelin, uh, maybe the fucking uh, tire company will <laughs> fucking like give everybody like, you know, an extra few months before they start reviewing uh, restaurants that, you know, lest they like lose their third Michelin star back down to two because of like, you know, being short staffed and have people with uh, like less training, you know, mm. maybe that'll put Ethan Stoll at ease. I don't know if he has any Michelin yeah. stars. Yeah, they're going to lose their stars because the desserts were plated all wrong. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> And again, you know, I feel like we've been talking about framing a lot, but like there's another way you could frame this article, right? Where you could say, wow, uh, a lot of Americans' jobs were so horrible and bad. They just like would don't want to come like given a taste of anything else, don't want to come back. Right. Like yeah. you could frame that. I mean, it is a much more legitimate way to frame it. Right. And it's just interesting that we only get one framing. Right. Uh a framing that conspicuously benefits one class over another. Very interesting. Yeah, utterly predictable. Okay, yep. well, uh, you know, that's basically more of the same that we've heard all year. Um, or is it that we've predicted it all year? I don't know. Yep. Um, that that sucks. Uh, but, uh, you know, thanks that, for listening, everybody. That classic um, Seattle sucks catchphrase. We even brought it back. You know, I said Seattle sucks at the beginning. We bring the catchphrase back. That sucks. Um yeah, uh, no new patrons this week, so do better, guys. Uh, yeah. awesome. Are you telling your... Wait a minute, who are we talking to? Oh, yeah, you're the people who haven't subscribed. Um, yeah. You should, because we do a whole other episode every week that is just as stupid as the one you're hearing, sometimes more so Yeah. right now. And um, All the yeah. best fecal content is on Patreon. That's the thing. So also, uh, if you subscribe now at a $10 level, you get pictures of all of our feet. Yeah, I'm not going to say from what angle. <laughs> okay, guys, uh, bye then. Yep, Hopefully bye. we'll have uh, some more of our friends back. Uh, they always come back. They'll they do. Back. Yeah, they're, they're going to realize they can't do better. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're going to write an article just like Ethan Stoll did about uh, why our friends are, you know, how our friends left us and, you know, we're out in the lurch now. Yeah. Someone, dude, that article is going to exist. Like after this <laughs> spat of like curate your friend articles uh, typified by that New York Times one, there is going to be some some idiot. One one of these days, the main character will be the person who wrote that article of like, uh, my friends have all turned their back on me saying I'm a toxic asshole who makes them feel bad. <laughs> and I think we that uh, can be blamed on our culture or something. I don't know. Yeah. It's cancel culture. It'll, it'll be a cancel culture angle. I'm bored of it I, already. Okay. I look forward to reading this new Katie Herzog piece. <laughs> all right. We'll uh, talk to everybody later. Goodbye, Goodbye. everybody.